Galatians chapter 3, I'd like to begin by reading verses 15 through 18. Galatians 3 verses 15 through 18. I'm reading out of the Holman Christian Standard Bible. Paul writes, Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside even a human covenant that has been ratified or makes additions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say into seeds as though referring to many, but into your seed referring to one who is Christ or the Messiah. And I say this, the law which came 430 years later does not revoke a covenant that was previously ratified by Yahweh so as to cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is from the law, it is no longer from the promise. But Yahweh granted it to Abraham through the promise. May Yahweh bless his word to our hearts today. Today we get back into studying Paul's epistle to the Galatians, and I am very thankful. This epistle is where my heart is right now. I wanted to take a few months to focus on the Passover, and we did that. We had a good Passover, and now we're counting. This is the third, third Sabbath, and the seventh Sabbath count the Pentecost. So we're waiting for the next feast on Yahweh's calendar annually. But during this time, I want to get back into the book of Galatians. That's where my heart is because the book of Galatians, along with the book of Genesis, has opened my eyes to truths that in times past I was not able to see. I'm thankful that Yahweh has helped me on some things. When you study through a book of the Bible, slowly and in context, it will do that. It will open your eyes to things that you cannot see by just reading a verse here or a verse there. Interpreting scripture based upon the culture of its own time period will do that for you as well. But you must be willing to let go of anything that you hold to that's based upon the traditions or the doctrines and commandments of man. Or a bias that you have or a modern day mindset that you are interpreting scripture by. If you only desire the truth, genuinely desire the truth, I believe that Yahweh will show it to you. But if you are content to stay in the traditions of men, then I also believe that Yahweh will leave you in the traditions of men and cause you to believe a lie. Studying the Bible changes us. Yahweh changes us, period. The new heart is not placed inside of us to keep us the way that we are. If you have a new heart today, Yahweh didn't give you the new heart to keep you the way that you are by nature, a child of wrath. He put a new heart within you to give you a desire to be obedient to his will and to follow in his ways. It's put there to make you think differently. It's put there to make you act differently. And in turn, it's put there to make you believe differently. And the more that you study the Bible genuinely, the more you are transformed by the renewing that Yahweh does on your mind. I'm talking about spiritual brain surgery, spiritual heart surgery. It's more important than any natural uh, physical brain or heart surgery. You can make it to the kingdom of heaven, Maine, brothers and sisters, but you can't make it if your spirit's not right. You can't make it if you don't have a new heart and a new mind. Yahweh promised us a new body. That's okay. But we want to get our hearts right, spiritually speaking. 
So today we pick this back up in verses 15 through 18. The last time we were in Galatians about two months ago, that's when we last studied the book of Galatians. So I want to review some of what I've covered in verses 6 through 14 leading up to our text today. I'm going to be very quick on this review. In this chapter, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul's main theme has been those who are of faith versus those who are of the works of the law. The of faith group trusts in the promise of Yahweh and lives out that trust by faithfully following Yahweh as he leads and guides. And that is because faith in the Bible is a package word. It's not just a belief like the demons have. The demons believe in one God and they tremble at his presence. But they don't have saving faith. Why? Because they don't have works. If there's no works with faith, the faith is useless, it is dead. The people who are of faith, they trust in the promise of Yahweh and that faith causes them to follow the will of Yahweh as he leads and guides them slowly, gently as a shepherd. But those who are of the works of the law, the other group that is cursed, these are people that look like the spiritual group and they follow a few outward works of the law, particularly in this culture in this time period, they would follow the works of the law that set them apart as Judah or as Israel, where somebody could look at them and say, that's a spiritual person, that's a spiritual man. This is how Shaul, uh, the Apostle Paul, would have looked prior to his conversion to Christ. He would have looked like a holy man. He would have looked like a bona fide, uh, faithful follower of Yahweh. Paul went from being a man who was of the works of the law, following a few outward works, to being a man who was of faith man who genuinely trusted in the promise of Yahweh and had works that accompanied that faith. Genuine works. Just as faith without works is dead being alone, so also works apart from faith is useless. Works of the law are not a bad thing. There is no work in the law that's a bad thing. But being of the works of the law in this context, as opposed to being of faith, that is a bad thing. It's the difference between life and death. It's the difference between being saved or being lost. If you're trusting in a few works to save you, you will die a lost person forever separated from Yahweh. Paul pointed out in this chapter that Father Abraham, the great patriarch back in the book of Genesis, was a man who was of faith. Yahweh made Abram, as he was named at that time, he made him a promise. And Abraham believed in that promise. There's the faith. And Yahweh credited Abram's faith to him as righteousness. When Abraham was counted as righteous, in Genesis 15, by his faith in the promise of Yahweh, Abram was uncircumcised. And Yahweh had a relationship with Abram a good 24 years before he was ever physically circumcised. This ought to let us know that the Gentiles or the nations or the ethne or ethnos in Paul's day who had believed in Yeshua the Messiah, the ultimate promise of Yahweh, these people could be credited as righteous apart from the works of the law and simply by faith, just like Father Abraham. If the great patriarch Abraham could be justified or counted as righteous by faith apart from circumcision, and so could the Gentiles who were coming to believe in the promise of Yahweh. 
Paul labors to show that this is the gospel. This is the good news that was preached to Abraham. When Yahweh told Abraham back in Genesis 12, In you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That one sentence, seven words in Hebrew, is the gospel. That was the gospel to the nations that Yahweh preached to Abraham. I don't believe it was fully understood back at the time of Abraham, but later revelation as it came and came and came, culminating in the time of Yeshua of Nazareth, then it began to be understood completely in a more fuller way. So, Yeshua would eventually come through the lineage of Abraham physically. And any family of the earth or any ethnos of the earth, which ethnos is the Greek word for nation or Gentile, any ethnos of the earth that believed in this descendant of Abraham, speaking about Yeshua the Messiah, Yeshua of Nazareth, became a son or a daughter of Abraham by faith. By faith. Whether or not they were physically attached to Abraham didn't matter. What mattered most was, as it pertained to salvation, are they spiritually attached to the Master and Savior, Yeshua of Nazareth? If you are, then you're a son of Abraham. As Galatians 3, I believe it's verse 7 says, so understand that those who have faith are Abraham's sons. I taught a whole sermon on that text. This gospel was preached before there were any Israelites walking upon the earth. And this gospel went to all the ethnos of the earth. Yahweh told Abraham, in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's not a natural blessing. That's a spiritual blessing. There's natural blessings of Yahweh, but that text is a spiritual blessing of salvation. That's the gospel that was preached to Abraham. And that was Apostle Paul's primary mission work. He was the apostle to the nations. Peter was the apostle to the circumcised. Paul was the apostle to the uncircumcised, primarily in both regards. So there were Israelites at the time of Yeshua the Messiah and at the time of the Apostle Paul who were relying upon their physical status as circumcised Judah for their salvation. They were saying or believing something like this. Look at us. We're the chosen people. We're circumcised. We have the temple. We have Jerusalem. We descend from the patriarchs. We descend from the prophets. And Paul is telling them, at least some of them, not all of them, but Paul is telling some of them, but you are not of faith. You're trusting in your flesh. You're trusting in your genealogy. You're trusting in the works of the law. You aren't trusting in the promise of Yahweh. You aren't placing your faith in the Messiah that came. You're adding something to the gospel. You're telling men like Cornelius and Titus that they're not saved until they get physically circumcised. And that's adding something to Yeshua. And therefore, that's distorting the gospel. And anybody that distorts the gospel can't be saved. It's a salvation issue when somebody distorts the gospel. Paul calls it another gospel. And he pronounces a curse in chapter 1 on anyone that distorts or twists the gospel of grace in the Messiah. So in this epistle that's written primarily to the Galatian Gentiles, those people that came out of heathen practice, they were uncircumcised, but they put faith in the Messiah. He's writing this epistle to them not to undergo or uh, cave in to the peer pressure of the influencers, some people call them the Judaizers, or the influencers, I like to say, who are telling them, unless you convert to become a Judahite, unless you become a son of Abraham through our conversion process, which had to do with ritual circumcision and then a, 
a Jewish mikvah and then a sacrifice at the temple. These were some of the primary things that they would want the Gentiles to do. Unless you convert this way, then you're second class. You're not really a son of Abraham. And look at us, we are. Paul's saying, no. Faith in the promise of Yahweh is enough for an uncircumcised heathen. Faith is enough. He proves this. Paul doesn't make this up. He proves this way back in the book of beginnings in Genesis. That's because everything that the Apostle Paul taught is based on Holy Scripture. So that's the main thrust of Paul's argument in verses 6 through 14. And today we begin looking at verses 15 through 16. And we'll start by reading verse 15 again in the HCSB. It says, brothers, Paul's writing to his Christian brothers, his followers of the Messiah here. Brothers, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside even a human covenant that has been ratified or makes additions to it. So Paul starts by using an illustration to help us understand. I like that. I use illustrations all the time to explain deeper principles as well. How many have ever learned something through an illustration? A preacher or somebody explains something to you, you don't quite get it, and they say, well, let me illustrate it for you. Let me give you an analogy, and then, boom, the light comes on, and you say, oh, I see what you're saying. So Paul does this. He says, brothers, I'm using a human illustration. Let me put this to you in human terms, and maybe you'll understand better what I'm saying. And he speaks of the human covenant. And one way we can understand this is a person's last will and testament. A person documents their will while they are alive and ratifies it or confirms that will with their signature. And once that person is dead, that will cannot be changed. Now, you may say, well, sometimes people try to change it. But that's not the point. The point is, is that that will should not be changed. That will should not be added to or taken away from. It is unlawful or illegal to do so. That's Paul's point in verse 15. We might also understand this human covenant as a contract or an agreement between two people. Let's say that you're selling me something of value, some land, some housing, etc. And we sit down and we write up a contract brother to brother. And we have all the details and the stipulations in that contract. We talk about it, we shake on it, we sign it, and we agree on it. We make a covenant with one another and it's in writing. Well, after the sale, I cannot come back and say you were supposed to do this if it was not in the agreement, if it was not in the covenant. We can go to the covenant to see exactly what we agreed upon. I cannot alter the covenant once it has been ratified or confirmed. That would be a violation of the original agreement. So Paul here is arguing from the lesser, the human covenant, to the greater, the covenant or promise of Yahweh. He's saying this. Paul is saying even human covenants cannot be altered once they're ratified or confirmed. You cannot annul a covenant or add to a covenant once it's confirmed. How much more does this apply to the promises of Yahweh? If you can't do this to a human covenant, then when Yahweh makes a promise, what makes you think you can add to it or take away from it? Well, look at the next verse in verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say unto seeds, as though referring to many, but unto your seed, referring to one who is Christ. So you see here how he's moving from the human illustration into the promises that Yahweh made to Abraham. 
Notice carefully that the promises were made by Yahweh to Abraham, not by Abraham to Yahweh. We're talking here about something that is called a unilateral or unconditional promise. It's very important that you understand this. We're dealing with a unilateral, unconditional promise, not a conditional promise. A covenant or an agreement can be either conditional or unconditional. It depends. Yahweh can make a covenant with you and say, if you do this, I will do this. And if you don't do your part, he's not obligated to do his. Or Yahweh can make an unconditional covenant with you and make you a promise no matter what. The promises here that are spoken of back in the book of Genesis made to Abraham and to his seed are unconditional. They're unilateral made only by one party. I could write up a will. Let me illustrate this for you. We'll use another illustration. I could write up a will that says when I die, Morgan gets $100,000, period. No strings attached. That's unconditional. That's unilateral. It's not based on anything that Morgan does, but only based upon my promise and my death. All she must do is receive that inheritance. Or, if I wanted to, I could write in my last will and testament, when I die, Morgan will get $100,000 if she continues in service to Yahweh and if she's still married to Josiah. I could put conditions on it. Do you see the difference? Then she would not receive that inheritance unless the conditions are met because that is a bilateral covenant instead of a unilateral covenant. It's not just based upon my promise, but it's based upon things that she must do to inherit or to receive the 100,000. So when Yahweh made promises to Abraham back in Genesis 12 through Genesis 15, they were unilateral and unconditional. And he made them to Abraham and to his seed, singular. And I'll talk about that momentarily. All Abram had to do was to receive them with an empty hand of faith, I like to say. Receive them by faith. And he did in Genesis 15. We see that he went out there. Yahweh, Yahweh himself told Abraham, come outside and let's look at the stars together. Count the stars. If you can count them, that's how many your descendants will be. He said, don't worry. Don't worry. One born from your own loins is going to be the inheritor of your belongings. And the Bible says Abram believed Yahweh and it was credited to him as righteousness. Hallelujah. So we'll talk more about this next week as we move into verses 17 through 18 with the unilateral promises of Yahweh. And we'll go to Genesis 15 and talk about this. But I wanted to lay that foundation out for you this week in this sermon to kind of wet your whistle for next week. So back to verse 16. We see in verse 16 that the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed, singular. And then Paul makes a play on the singularity of the word seed. And to your seed, in Galatians 3.16, is a quotation from Genesis 12.7, Genesis 13.15, Genesis 17.8, and Genesis 24, verse 7. The word seed in the Hebrew text of Genesis is the word zerah. And the word zerah in the book of Genesis, in those texts I just mentioned, is always singular in form, although it can at times be plural in meaning. Always singular in form, but it can either be singular or plural in meaning. An illustration is found in me saying, I saw a deer or I saw some deer today. 
The word deer doesn't have to be used in a different form to be plural. It can go either way, depending upon the context in which I use the word. You know whether I'm talking about one deer or a multitude of deer. So when we read the Genesis text from which Paul is pulling from, and Paul probably knew the book of Genesis so well, probably one of the greatest scholars on the book of Genesis to ever walk the face of the earth, we find that Abraham's seed in Genesis refers to his descendants, plural, when you read Genesis. It's obvious. Yet the word Zerah is always singular in form. Now that's okay. Remember what I said. Zerah can be singular in form, but it can be singular or plural in meaning. So in Genesis where Yahweh says, I'll give this land to you, Abraham, and your offspring, it's talking about his descendants, plural, right? But yet the form is still singular in Genesis. Track with me now. Track with me. What Paul is doing is an inspired by the Holy Spirit midrash. A midrash is an exposition or a commentary that an author makes on a Hebrew text of Scripture as he reads and interprets that text. All the rabbis or the teachers during the time of Yeshua of Nazareth performed midrash on Holy Scripture. If you're familiar, Brother TJ talked about the Aramaic Targums in the New Moon Sermon. Those are basically midrashes, expositions or commentaries as they're translating from the Hebrew into the Aramaic. And as the rabbis would discuss certain texts of Scripture and debate the meaning and proper interpretation of those texts, they would midrash and say this Scripture means this or the deeper understanding is this. And so Paul makes a play on the word seed throughout the text of Genesis. It's always singular in form and Paul sees a reason why the Hebrew word zerah is always singular in form. Paul does not combat that it can be plural in meaning with Abraham's offspring and descendants as a multitude, but he sees a reason why it's singular in form. And Paul is saying that the coming of the Messiah, the one Messiah, the man Christ, has caused a realization that this Messiah is the ultimate goal in Abraham's offspring. All of Abraham's previous offspring, beginning with Isaac, was all for the purpose of one day bringing Yeshua of Nazareth to fruition. That's why the gospel according to Matthew begins by saying, the gospel of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. There's a reason why. It's all pointing to Yeshua of Nazareth. When Yahweh made the promises to Abraham and his Zerah, singular in form, the one... Seed was referring to what everything else was leading up to, Yeshua the Messiah. So if the promises were made, catch this now, this is the good news to the nations. If the promises were made to Abraham and to his one seed, Messiah, Christ, then anyone who is attached to the Messiah by faith is an inheritor of the promises. No matter if they are Judahite or Greek, slave or free, male or female, I just quoted Galatians 3.28, you're all one, and the word one in Galatians 3.28 carries the meaning of equal, you're all equal or one in Christ. There's no barbarian, there's no Scythian, there's no male, there's no female in Christ. Now somebody says, well, I'm still a female or I'm still a male. Yes, you are, and you still have roles to play. And Yahweh didn't make a female to be a male or a male to be a female. But I'm talking about in salvation. 
as it pertains to salvation in Christ, see, there's no male or female. There's no slave or free. A slave is just as much saved if he's in Christ as a free man. And a Greek or a heathen that's uncircumcised is just as much saved as a Judahite who's been raised in the Torah his whole life if he's in Christ. That's Paul's point. The promises were made to Abraham and to his Zerah, singular in form. It's not saying the promises were not made to all of Abraham's descendants. That's easy to prove by going to the book of Genesis. Brother Matthew's not denying that. Paul is making a midrash, and it's a beautiful one. It's a beautiful exposition and commentary on that singularity of the word Zerah in the book of Genesis. It's so wonderful. Paul is still arguing here against the Judai influencers who are teaching salvation because of who they are rather than salvation by faith in Messiah. So as I close today, let me say that some have attempted to say that the word Christ in Galatians 3.16 is not a reference to Yeshua, but rather to only the anointed nation of Israel as a whole. I have books at the house, papers at the house on this. And I believe that this understanding comes not from exegesis of the text at hand, but I believe it comes out of a desire to make the text say something that it does not say. And we, brothers and sisters, and we've all done it before, we have to be careful when we study the Bible to do our very best not to make the text say something that we want it to say, but rather what it says. We've got to be very careful to do that. So it is true that the word Christos, which we find transliterated in English as Christ or Messiah, in Greek it means anointed or anointing. And sometimes in the Greek Septuagint it just refers to the practice of anointing somebody with oil. Or it can refer to, the, to Yahweh's anointing. Okay? But in this context, and in many contexts in the New Testament, especially in this one, it is absolutely and undeniably and irrefutably referring to Yeshua the Christ or the person of the Messiah. And here's the easiest way to prove that. Just read a few verses later. Remember I talk about the 2020 rule? Read 20 verses before and 20 after. We'll just read a few verses later. In Galatians 3.19, we'll just read part A. Galatians 3.19. We'll eventually go through all of this. Paul writes, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. Who is the seed that came a long time after the giving of the law? Christ, the Messiah. Yeshua, the Messiah. Abraham had many descendants before the law was ever given on Mount Sinai. But this seed in Galatians 3 came many years after the law was added. That lets us know that the seed Christ in verse 16 is the seed in verse 19. That's the seed to whom the promise was made. That physical descendant of Abraham, that one that everything was pointing to, that one who knew no sin, that one who no guile was found in his mouth, who was the perfect consummate Israelite man and follower of Yahweh. There's also a mention before verse 16 and verse 13 where it says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's talking about the person, the man from Nazareth. And then the combination of the Christ or the Messiah Yeshua in verse 14 is used. So the singular seed in verse 16 is not talking about the anointed nation of Israel or Yahweh's anointed. It's talking about the person of Christ, the Son of Yahweh. And if you are in the Messiah, 
The promise of the gospel is for you today. You are a child of Abraham by faith. Whether you be a Judahite or a Greek. Whether you be a slave or a free. Whether you be a male or a female. You are all equal in Messiah as it pertains to your salvation. And if you are not in Messiah, the promise of the gospel is not for you. No matter what your family tree is. No matter if you're circumcised. See, the focal point is the Messiah. He is the seed, Zerah, singular, to whom the promise was made. And you must be attached to him by faith, believing in that promise of Yahweh, in order to be saved from your sins. Never take your eyes off of the Messiah. Never. We'll pick this back up next week and we'll look in detail next Sabbath at verses 17 through 18 if you want to read those while while we wait for the next service. Let's stand and close out today. Hallelujah. May Yahweh bless you and keep you. May Yahweh make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may Yahweh lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. I place the name of Yahweh upon you today. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, thank you for the Apostle Paul, much more intelligent than I am. And I just, I'm so excited to study what he writes and to just meditate on it and mull it over and look at it more and more. And it just begins to jump off the page the more that I think about it. Oh, I'm so thankful for a good understanding. Father, Yahweh, I thank you for Father Abraham. I'm so thankful that we have a good example in that great elder patriarch. He was a man of faith. He trusted what you said. He trusted in your promise. And he was also a faithful man. When you gave him commandments, he obeyed. Father, I'm thankful for his justification. I'm thankful for his outworking of that righteousness. May the same be true in our lives. Father, help us to trust in you and your promise. Help us to believe your word. We thank you for your son our Messiah, through whom we pray.